As we do every December, we are gearing up for our annual Heart for the House uh, love offering. Every December, we give our church an opportunity to go above and beyond our tithe and give a love offering into God's house because of our heart for God's house. And as we're preparing for the love offering this year, it's not something we're asking anyone to be a part of. We're asking you to talk to God and ask God whether or not you are to partner with us this year with this love offering. So today what I wanted to do is give you uh, some background information as we go. And I want you to understand the reason why uh, every year we do a love offering and where it came from and understand the theology of giving and and understand God's heart for giving and what it all means. But I do want to clarify that we are not doing this love offering because we are in need as a church. A lot of people think, oh, you're doing a love offering because the church has needs. We are probably in the best position financially that we've ever been in the history of this church. We are not in any need this season to receive a love offering. Uh, This offering is simply our opportunity to grow what God is doing, to reach more people, to advance. This offering is a desire in our heart to do more than we've ever done to reach people for Jesus Christ. It is not something we need. God is taking care of all of our needs at our church. We are in a very healthy, strong position financially. So this offering is not motivated out of any needs. I just wanted to clarify that and to let you know this offering is simply an opportunity God's given us to advance what God is doing here in our community. And as we prepare for this offering this December, I wanted to go through a a message today and let you understand the reason why we do offerings. What, What is the theology behind giving, the theology behind an offering? What does the Bible have to say about giving and about money? As many of you may or may not know, there's over 2,300 scriptures in this book about money. 2,300. There are only 500 scriptures about love. There are only 600 scriptures about faith, but there are 2,300 scriptures in this book about money. Jesus taught on money more than any other subject. If you follow the life of Jesus Christ, he, out of 36, out of 42 parables, 36 of them were about money. It was the number one subject that Jesus taught on. And there's a reason why Jesus did this. You need to understand that money, according to the Bible, according to Jesus, is the number one competition for the human heart. It is a false God that is competing with your heart. It is the only thing in the entire Bible that Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. It doesn't say God and sex, God and this, or God and that. It says God and money. Money is the number one competition for the human heart. So I, as a pastor, if I understand that, and I want to do my job to faithfully serve you as a pastor, then I have to spend time every year attacking the number one thing that is competing for your heart to pull your heart away from God. And if I don't spend time attacking that thing that is trying to pull your heart away from God, then I fail you as a pastor. So this message is not motivated out of need because, as I said, we're in a very strong position in our church right now. The reason we preach messages like this is the same reason we preach on faith, the same reason we preach on parenting, the same reason we preach on prayer is we want to help you. We want to bless you. We want you to understand the whole word of God and apply your life to the whole word of God because it'll change every aspect of who you are. So as we get into the message today, I'd like you to look at a a scripture in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. Apostle Paul says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. 
you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How I many know that is good advice right there? That is the best advice you'll ever get in life. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Then he goes on to give one quote that Jesus made. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed, blessed. That, that word blessed in the Greek is the word makarios. Makarios. It is, it, it is literally translated happy. Jesus is saying it is more happy to give than to receive. You will be happier. You will be more fulfilled. You will find more joy in life. This is the happy life. And that's the title of my message today, the happy life. I want to help you find Makarios, the happy life. It is more blessed. It is more happy to give than to receive. And blessing is just not money. That's, that, that's why I love the, the, the translation happy as opposed to blessed. Because when we hear the word blessed, we think we're going to win the lottery when we give. But he's not saying that, that you're going to be financially blessed. He's saying you're going to discover the happy life. You're going to be happier. You're going to be more fulfilled. You're going to find joy. Let me give you an example. We have a, a young Marine in our church who has a three-year-old, and he has a four-year-old, and he has a newborn baby. And right after the newborn was born, he found out from the Marine Corps that he was going to deploy for 13 months, completely unexpected, took him by surprise. He wasn't scheduled to deploy for another year or so. And so he deployed for 13 months, leaving a newborn, a three-year-old, and a four-year-old away from his family. And, and a few months ago on deployment, God put it on his heart to give a love offering beyond his tithe. And he didn't really know why, but God just put on his heart to give this love offering above and beyond his regular tithe. He faithfully tithes every month, but this was a love offering above and beyond his tithe. And, and he told me what the amount was, and honestly, it, it, that, that's a big love offering for anybody, but especially for somebody on a Marine Corps salary with a family and wife and kids at home. But he faithfully gave this love offering a few months ago. Well, a couple weeks ago, he... Uh, on his deployment in the Middle East, he was notified that you're going home for two weeks over Thanksgiving. And so this last two weeks, he has actually been home with his wife. How many know they don't send you home when you're on deployment? That doesn't happen. See, he went above and beyond for God, and God went above and beyond for him. And how many know he was happy to come home and see his wife and kids? That is the happy life. And to him, that's worth far more than winning a lottery to get two weeks with his family, two weeks with his baby, two weeks with his children. is far more valuable than any money he could have got in the mail. See, Jesus says it is more happy to give than it is to receive a life of generosity, a life as a giver. And when you are living the generous life, you are more like God than at any other time because God himself was a giver. It was the very nature of who God was. I want to share a story in Luke chapter 19, a story I've never preached before about Zacchaeus. I mean, remember the old song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Uh, I don't know if you grew up in Baptist Sunday school, but that was a song we sang often. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, which means he stole money from people. And he became very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd because he was a wee little man. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see. 
Sorry, I keep this song keeps coming to my mind. For Jesus was going to pass by that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and in great joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he says, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have robbed or cheated anybody on their taxes, I'm going to repay them four times. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. Now, notice something. Jesus doesn't say salvation has come to Zacchaeus. Jesus said salvation has come to Zacchaeus home today. See, it didn't just affect Zacchaeus. It affected his home. It affected his children. It affected his spouse. It infected his his entire life. For this man shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus encounters Jesus Christ. And two things radically change inside of him. The first thing is the action of giving. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half of my wealth, half of my property and my possessions to the poor. He encounters Jesus and he immediately becomes a giver. You know, one of the signs of someone who has truly been impacted by Jesus Christ is they immediately become a giver. People have truly encountered Christ immediately begin to give because it's the nature of God. So the action of giving and then the attitude of giving. His attitude changed. He says, listen, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times. That is an attitude issue that changed inside of Zacchaeus. So number one, if you're, if you're following on your notes today and your worship pack, number one is the action of giving. The action of giving. Now, if you're an English teacher today or if you studied grammar before, then you know for a complete sentence to be a complete sentence, there's got to be a subject and there's got to be a verb to be a complete sentence. Now, you can have an exclamatory sentence like, wow, and you just need one word, wow. But for a complete sentence, you need a subject and a verb like John ran. Now, you can add objects and prepositions. John ran fast. John ran to the store. But To be a complete sentence, you simply need John Rand. Now, if you took the Bible, this book, and you boiled it down to a subject and a verb, just boil it down to two words, this entire book, what would you come up with? Well, obviously the subject is God. The book is all about God. The first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God. The last verse of the Bible, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. It starts with God. It ends with God. This book is God. He is the subject of this book. What would the action or the verb of this book be? Now, many people would say love, love. And that's a very good word. And I believe that is the motivating force behind the action. But I don't believe it's the action. I believe the verb of the Bible is give, giving, given, gave, forgive. That's the action of the Bible. And I think the most popular verse in the Bible proves it. John 3, 16, for God so loved, there's the motivator, that he gave. He loved and he gave. See, if you really think about it, that's the Christian life, giving, We are here today. If you really think about it, we are here today because a loving father gave us his son. 
We're here today because a son loved us so much that he gave us his life on the cross. We're here today because many of you gave your life to God. And if you even want to be more literal, we're here today because people in this church gave their money to build this building. To pay for the chairs, to pay for the sound system. They gave of their life, of their resources, and of their money so that we could all sit here today and enjoy having church together. The Christian life is about giving. Now, it's not just about money. We give, we give many things, but it does include giving of our money. And I know that's hard for some people to hear in church. They don't like people talking about money in church. And I understand because it's competing for your heart. Money is a false God. It promises only what God can deliver. And so when you attack somebody's God, they get very upset. They get very uncomfortable. They, they, they shut down. So I understand how a message like this creates reactions in people. But I want you to hear through me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus did a teaching on money. And Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures. In the Greek, meaning treasure, money, wealth, property, possession, on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Let me, let me ask you this morning, if you'd be honest with yourself, where is your treasure today? Is your treasure in stock? Is your treasure in a 401k? Is your treasure in real estate? Is your treasure in a car or in hobbies? Where where is your treasure? Where is the bulk of your treasure today? Well, let me say something. There is your heart. Now, Now, don't get mad at me. Jesus said it. I'm just reading out of his letter. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. There is your heart. And, and you know, I, I've heard a lot of pastors misquote this. I, I hear many pastors who will say, wherever your heart is, there is your treasure. So if your heart is in the house of God, give your treasure to the house of God. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say where your heart is your treasure. It says where your treasure is, there is your heart. Your heart follows your treasure. That's why when somebody asks me, what's the number one thing you would teach a new Christian? If someone starts to serve Jesus Christ and follow Christ, what's the number one spiritual discipline you would want them to understand or you would want them to learn? For me, it's simple, tithing. And the reason I say tithing is because I'm trying to tie their heart to God because their heart will follow their treasure. And and you know something interesting about tithers? Tithers almost never backslide. I'm almost have never heard about a tither backsliding and falling away from God. It it, it almost never happens. Now there may be the exception, the rule, but tithers almost never backslide. Why? Because their heart is tied to God. Their heart follows their treasure. If their treasure is with God, then their heart is with God. And it's hard to fall away from where your heart is. You know, people say, well, pastor, I just don't have a heart for missions. We'll invest some money into missions. And guess what? You'll become very interested in missions. You put money into a stock. What do you do all day long? You're pulling out your phone. You get on your stock app and you're seeing how the stock is doing. Why? You are interested in where your money goes. What's first in your life? When you wake up in the morning, 
Do you, do you immediately get out of bed, go to the computer, get your phone, check the stock report, see how your money is doing? Or do you get up, get the word of God and see what God has to say to you during the day? Do you do your soap? Who has first in your life? When you wake up, who has first in your life? Now, I want you to see something I've never seen before. This jumped out at me this week like, like never before. I'm reading this in Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to notice something in verse 20. And I would love for you to underline this in your Bible, underline this in your notes. It says, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Circle that word yourself. Jesus didn't say store up treasure in heaven. You know, he wasn't up there saying, you know, we're trying to pave these streets of gold and we're running low on funds. Could you send some treasure up here to help us out? Who is he telling you to store it up for? He says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, understand, Jesus never wasted a word. Everything Jesus said, he said intentionally. He said for a reason. The words of Jesus are powerful. I love uh, Lindsay sitting out here today. She just finished putting together a book called Just Jesus, which is just the words of Jesus. I love the words of Jesus. Every word of Jesus was precious, was sacred, and was said for a reason. So why would Jesus tell you to store up treasure for yourself in heaven if you weren't going to need it for something? Obviously, Jesus is telling us to store up treasure in heaven because we're going to need treasure in heaven for something. And it makes sense because we just finished Purpose Driven Life where we realize that God has a plan in eternity. We will have jobs. We will have assignments. We will have responsibility. God will give us authority based on our commitment on earth. And it's going to take some resources to get your job down. Let me give you an example. Imagine I'm moving from California to uh, Texas. I'm getting out of California. I'm done with California. I'm moving permanently. I'm never going to come back. And so the movers show up to my home and they begin to pack up my house and they begin to box everything up and they begin to take it out to the moving truck. And then they get to our dining table, which is really nice. And I tell the movers, no, 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 don't touch the dining table. Leave that here. Well, aren't you moving permanently? Well, yeah. And you're never going to come out yet. Yeah, yeah, but I, I might just, just leave. It, it's too expensive. It, it, it's too nice. It's too valuable. Leave that here. But you're going there permanent. I, I know, but just, just don't send it ahead. Just leave it here. How many of us are doing that in our life? Well, this, this is far too nice to, 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 to send ahead. I might need this here. How many of us are going to get to heaven and say to ourselves, I wish I would have sent more ahead? I, I wish I would have, I, I stored up so much there that I can't use now. I wish I would have sent more. See, this isn't our home. We're going to be there forever. And, and this is not a dollar for dollar exchange rate. Let me make this clear. This is not dollar for dollar. I know people who are on $30,000 a year incomes who are storing up far more treasure in heaven than people on a million dollar year incomes. Because their sacrifice is far greater. They're giving a much higher percentage of everything away. So it's not a dollar for dollar exchange rate. That's why Jesus said about the widow who gave two mites, she had given far more than everybody. It's about your sacrifice. 
That's why tithing is the original fair share because tithing is 10% whether you make $30,000 or it's 10% whether you make a million dollars. It's 10% whether you make 100,000. It's 10% whether you make 10 million. It's 10%. It is what it is. That's the fun thing about being a pastor is people, you know, I had someone just the other day come up and say, Pastor, you really challenged me. I need to increase my tithe. How do you mathematically increase 10%? I mean, you can't really increase 10%. Mathematically, it is what it is. You're either returning 10% to God or you're not returning 10% to God, but you can't increase a tithe. You're either tithing or you're not tithing because tithing is what it is. The Bible was very clear about tithing is 10%. So send ahead. We want to store up treasures for our self in heaven. Zacchaeus meets Jesus and his life is radically changed. He immediately begins the action of giving, but not only the action of giving, we see the attitude of giving number two. If you go back to verse six in Luke 19, it says Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. I mean, this guy was enthusiastic. He was excited about Jesus. He quickly climbed down and he took Jesus to his house in great excitement and great joy. How did Zacchaeus receive Jesus? With great excitement and with great joy and with enthusiasm. See, that's why it was easy for Zacchaeus to give away because he was excited. He was excited about Jesus and so material things didn't matter to him. Here's a key in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Freely you have received, so freely give. Freely you've received, so freely give. Zacchaeus freely received Jesus with great joy. So it was easy for him to freely give away half of everything he owned with great joy. See, if you struggle with giving today... Let, let me let me clue you in. Your real struggle is not giving. Your real struggle is receiving. That's your struggle. If you struggle with freely giving away, you struggle with freely receiving. And this is hard for, for many people, especially for those of you that grew up in a legalistic environment. If you grew up in the staunch Catholic background or the independent fundamental Baptist background or the mean Pentecostal background, if you grew up in one of those legalistic cultures, it's hard for you to be a giver. Why? Because you had to work so hard to get it. You never knew if you were right with God. I mean, at any moment you could lose your relationship with God. You had to, you had to constantly walk on eggshells because you never knew what God thought of you. You never knew what God looked at you like because you were always wondering, am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough? Am I following all the Ten Commandments perfectly? Is God going to accept me? And you grew up under that legalism. And so you had to earn your salvation. You had to earn your position with God. You had to earn your relationship with God. And so the whole, the whole teaching was you got to fight to hold on to what you have. See, but when you understand grace, when you understand everything we have is because of God. That, that we are right with God because of what Jesus did, not because of what we do every day. I can't take my righteousness away when I make a mistake. I didn't give myself righteousness. I can't take righteousness away from myself. He gave me righteousness on the cross. So all I've got to do is receive it. I don't work for it. I don't earn it. That's grace. Everything we have is because of grace. And what's what's the problem with this attitude is it spills out into our career life and our business life. I built that business. I built that career. It was my hard work. It was my, let me ask you a question. 
If you were born to parents in Africa in a remote village, would you be where you're at today? Would you have the job you have today? Would you have the bank account you have today? So are you really that special? Are you really going to stand here and tell me you earned it? You could have been born anywhere. Yes, you worked hard, but you worked hard after God blessed you with a certain position. God blessed you by being born in a certain area to go to certain schools with the brain that you have to do the type of job that you do. You're not there because you are special and because you worked hard. You're there because God positioned you to be there. Yes, you worked hard, but what you have is not because of you. It's because of God. Because you could have very easily been born in Africa or in India or in poverty or living in a village somewhere and you wouldn't be where you're at today. You have to understand grace. You have to understand grace. You know, one of the reasons it's so easy for me to give everything away. Uh, You could ask my wife four times we've given away our savings account. I've given away a car. I've given away. there, There is not honestly. And you could talk to my wife. There is not one possession I have that I would not let go of instantly. There's not one thing I have that I hold dear apart from my wife and my son in relationships. I mean, mean, there, there is honestly not one thing that I own that I wouldn't give away if God told me to easily give away. Do you know why? Because everything I have is because of God. See, your pastor for many years of my life was a very evil horrible person. I should not be here today. I should be dead. I should be in jail. I should be strung out on drugs. I should not be standing here today. Every second I have is borrowed time that God gave me because of grace. See, God saved me. God reached down and he took a sinner and he gave him another chance at life. And God did it freely. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to work for it. That's why nothing I have, I hold on to. Because everything I have comes from, I, I shouldn't be in this position today. I shouldn't be standing here today. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not be here. I freely received, and so it's easy for me to freely give away. That's my passion is to build a grace-based church. That's why you hear me say constantly, God doesn't want to be your religion. He wants to be your dad. It's not about religion. You don't have to earn it. He loves you. It's about grace. Because if you'll get a revelation on grace, it'll change your life. Grace has to be the motivation for giving. Giving is a grace that God gives you. A great story in the Bible is the Macedonians. Second Corinthians eight, Paul's talking about the Macedonians and the special grace that God gave them to be givers. And let me give you some background in history. In first Corinthians nine, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he's saying, you guys need to start giving. You're saved. You need to start giving. You need to start investing. You need to start tithing. You need to start putting money into the local church and to the work of God. That's what Paul says. That's where we get, you know, a worthy is work, a worker is worthy of his hire. Don't muzzle the ox. That comes out of first Corinthians nine. The church of Corinth writes a letter back to Paul and says, we can't give right now. We're in a recession. You don't understand. Times are tough, Paul. We're we're dealing with financial insecurity. They're changing the tax code. We don't know what's going to happen next year. 
I mean, we got to hold on, Paul. The, the times are tough. We, we are financially afraid right now. We can't let go. They didn't exactly say that, but basically, if, if you study the history, that's what they did. We're, we're in a financially tough time. We're too poor to give right now. We can't do it. So Paul tells the church of Corinth a story about the Macedonians who are experiencing a far greater recession, who are living in far greater poverty, and who are experiencing a lot more trouble and difficulty. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles. And they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy. There's the happy life. Makarios, which has overflowed in rich generosity. I love this. For, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it out of their own free will. They didn't just give what they could afford. They gave until it hurt. They sacrificed for the work of God. And they did it because they wanted to. So that's why we tell you every week, this is a want-to church, not a, not a have-to church. You don't have to do anything around here. If you have to do it, your view of God is messed up. This is a church we get to give. We get to serve. We want to serve. We want to give. They did it out of their own free will. Look at verse 4. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. I mean, look at that. I mean, I mean this, this is what they're doing. Pastor, please take another offering. We want to give again. I know we took an offering last week. Will you please let us give another offering this week? We want to give. We can't stop giving. God keeps blessing us. We want to keep giving. I mean, they are literally begging Paul to take another offering. Verse 5, they even did more than what we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. Let me just say, God, you'll never outgive God. God will give you so much more than anything you could ever put into his kingdom and his work. Verse 7, I love this. Since you excel in so many ways... In your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us. I think that could be said a coastline right now. We are excelling in so many ways as a church right now. We're excelling. God, God is blessing this church. He's growing this church. He's doing incredible things in this church. But then Paul goes on to say, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. Giving is part of the Christian life. That's why we do the heart for the house offering, because it's part of our life. We give to the work of God. We tithe and we give. And the motivation must be grace. It's got to be because we love God, not because we have to. See, it's easy for me to give because I love God because of what he's done for me. When you truly sit down and realize what a sinner you are and that you deserve hell for all eternity and God saved you from hell forever, it becomes really easy to give to God out of love and out of appreciation. And it is a grace in our life. We give because of love. Is God first in your life? Remember I said how 
when you give, when you store up treasure in heaven for yourself, it's not a dollar for dollar exchange. Look at verse 11. Give in proportion to what you have. See, it's about equal sacrifice. It's not the dollar figure. It's the sacrifice. It's the sacrifice. Whatever you give, look at this, is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. See, we're going to set some criteria for the offering next month. And one of the criteria is we want you to be willing. If you're not willing, then we as a church ask you not to give in this offering. If you're not willing to do it, we don't, we don't, look, Paul goes on in, in second Corinthians nine and he keeps teaching on this message and, and look at some of the criteria Paul establishes for the offering. He says, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. See, this message is not because we're in need as a church. This message is our opportunity to go beyond what we're doing, but there's criteria for it. Don't give grudgingly. He says in verse 6, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Do not give because you feel manipulated or you feel pressured in the giving. Giving is a grace. It has to be motivated out of your love for God's house, not motivated out of manipulation, out of pressure or grudgingly. Let me explain something to you. God has taken care of our needs as a church. God has met all of our needs as a church. We don't need a love offering. God takes care of our needs. The offering is for you an opportunity to see God do more here, but it's not an offering out of need. So if you, if you can't meet the criteria, if you're grudgingly or you feel pressured, then we as a church ask you, please don't partner with us in this offering. Please don't do it. No one's going to know. No one's going to know. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, it, it, no one checks. No one knows what each other's giving. No one's going to know. So if you can't do this out of a free will, out of eagerness, and, and then look at this, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Cheerful. That's one of the criterias for giving is cheerfulness. We want you to be happy about it. The actual Greek word there is hilaros, which is where we get the word hilarious. How many of you have God ever spoke something to you and you thought, oh, that's hilarious? Yeah, God, are you serious? You really want me to do that? God wants you to be a hilarious giver. Uh, I read a story the other day about an inventor who lived in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He lived by the airport and planes flying over his head. And his church was doing a three-year campaign to build a new building. And he's sitting in the backyard. He's watching the planes fly over. And God speaks to him, I want you to give $50,000. And he thought, that's funny, God. Wait, you're serious? God says, yeah, I want you to give $50,000. And he's sitting out there thinking, wow, that, that's inc- I've never been able to do so. that. That's incredible, God. I can't believe you're going to give me the ability. And, and he's looking up and God says to him, what do you think I'm going to do? Drop it out of the sky? Go inside and write it into your budget. So the guy goes inside, he gets his budget out, he calculates out what is, what is, what is $50,000 over 12 months, over three years. And he, and he gets the number and he begins to work it into his budget. And he realizes, okay, God, if I, if I do this, I'm going to have to take this and this and this out of my budget to be able to do this. And he goes, I never forgot what God said. God said, okay, 
So he began to do it every month. He began to pay his commitment that God put on his heart for his church. And literally that three years, God blessed his business. It began to grow and he began to see more, you know, well above and beyond the 50,000 he gave. And when he got to the last month of the three years, he wrote the check. He gave it to the church. Monday morning, he's sitting at home and there's a knock at the door. And he goes and he answers the door and it's an official from DFW airport and says, sir, we, we've noticed your home is in our flight path and the plane's flying over and we realize that, it, that, that it's devalued your home. The property value has gone down as a result of being in the flight path and we calculated what the value is and we wanted to give you this check for $50,000. And he was the only, neither one of his neighbors got it. It was just him. So he's sitting there with the check. The guy's gone. He looks up in the sky. A plane's flying over. And God says, see, I can drop it out of the sky if I want to. (laughs) See, that's the happy life. We want you to be happy, to be blessed. Makarios, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Happy, fulfilled, joyful. Zacchaeus encountered Jesus Christ and immediately began the action of giving and the attitude of giving. Well, there's three areas that God asks us to give in the local church. We, we learned about a couple of them the last 40 days during Purpose Driven Life. And in these three areas, it's not multiple choice. It's letter D, all of the above. God wants you to do all of these things. The first, first area God wants you to give in is because I love God's house, I give my time. Hebrews says, don't forsake the gathering of believers. Why do we have church once a week as opposed to once a month? Because we as believers give God the first part of our week. We as Christians don't go to church once a month or when we get around to it. We give God the first part of our week because it's in the word. We give God the first part of our week. We give our time to worship God. Because I love God's house, I give my talent. We talked about that last month, First Peter 4. Whatever gift God's given you, use it. Find a place on the dream team. Come to Discover 401 today. Find a place to use your talent to serve in the body of Christ and make a difference in the lives of other Christians. And then the last area that God expects us to give in when it comes to his house is our treasure. Because I love God's house, I give my treasure to God's house. And I love the example of King David. This is where we get the phrase, heart for the house. The heart for the house offering we do every year. First Chronicles 29, verse 3. Now, in, in verse 1 and 2, Jesus, or King David gave everything out of his business, basically his tie, to build the temple. The temple was paid for debt-free at this point. They said that first offering that King David gave was was around 400 million U.S. dollars. Now David says in verse 3, because of my devotion to the temple of my God. Another translation says, because of my heart for God's house. David says, because I set my heart on God's house, I am now giving out of my own personal private treasury. This is his savings account. This is his, this is his personal money now that we're talking about. His own private treasures, gold, silver. I, you know, it's a, a fun assignment. Take First Chronicles 29 and calculate out the value today, looking at the, the weight of gold, the weight of silver, what the value is. Do the math. It's over $6 billion U.S. dollars that David gives here in verse 3. $6 billion 
dollars. How many know to give a six billion dollar offering, you have to be blessed in the first place? David made a lot of mistakes in his life. He did a lot of bad stuff in his life. And at the end of his life, God said he is a man after my own heart. Why? Because he always put first the thing God holds dear. God loves his house. You can't read the Bible and miss the fact that God loves it. He loves his house so much. He calls us the church, the bride of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves his bride. He loves his church. David loved the temple. He loved the house of God. And then in verse five, David says, now then who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Now I want you to understand they didn't need anything at this point. There was no need. The temple was paid for. David just gave $6 billion over that. There is absolutely no need. This offering was strictly motivated by people's love for God's house. If you do the math on what the people gave, it was 10 billion U.S. dollars. So after everything was paid off debt-free, the people gave $16 billion to the work of God to endow the entire operation of the temple. The temple, the priest never had to worry about raising money. The priest never had to worry about, about light bills, utility bills, growing, expanding, building. The people took care of the needs of God's house so the priest could focus on preaching the word. See, that's why I love the faithfulness of this church. You as a church have been so faithful this year that I don't have any financial worries that most pastors are stressed at night on how they're going to pay the staff and how they're going to pay the light bill. This church has been so faithful that all I get to do is focus on what I'm going to preach next. What am I going to teach out of God's word? Because you as a church have been so faithful. So, so when we do the heart for the house, as I said, it's not motivated because we have any needs. It's simply our opportunity to show God how much we love his house and show God that we want to expand what he is doing in our life. And we want it to impact people all around us in this community. That's all the offering is for. But there's some criteria for this offering. As, as I said, the criteria is simple. We want you to be willing. If you're going to partner with us in December in the Heart for the House offering, you're going to ask God what you should give and what you should be a part of. And again, we're not asking you to do anything. We're not asking you to do it. We make it available. You decide if you want to be a part of it or not. Giving is an act of worship. It is not a financial transaction between you and the church. This is between you and God. But if you decide you want to partner with us next month in the Heart for the House offering, all that we ask as a church is that you be willing. You don't do it because you feel pressured. You don't do it because you feel manipulated. You do it because you're willing. You want to do it. Number two, you do it cheerfully. You do it because it brings you joy to give to God. And number three, you do it as a sacrifice. You don't just give change to God. If you're going to give, we want it to be a sacrifice. We want it to cost you to give, just like it costs the Macedonians. David said, I am not going to give anything to my Lord that doesn't cost me something. I'm not giving out of my excess. I'm giving to the point that I may not have to give up a latte a week next year to be able to give that offering. My wife and I are praying about what we're going to do and what we're going to have to give up next year to be a part of the offering. And that's fine. Because again, everything we have is because of him anyways. So I want you to ask yourself a question right now. Why are you here today? The Holy Spirit strategically had you hear this message. You didn't hear that. You may not like the message. You may be sitting there upset with me right now. 
But there's a reason the Holy Spirit brought you here today. What is he trying to tell you? What is he trying to say to you? Don't don't get so mad at me because the pastor talked about money. I want you to hear from the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me this morning, Holy Spirit? What area in my life do I need to change? What area in my life do I need? For some of you, you need to step out and begin to tithe. You've been, you've been giving God 3% or 4%, maybe even 7 or 8%. And God is saying, you need to tithe. Tithing is an act of faith. It's 10%. If it's not 10%, it's not tithing. For some of you, that may be what the Holy Spirit is saying. You need to step out and begin to tithe. Some of you, the Holy Spirit may be putting a number on your heart, way above and beyond. For some of you, the Holy Spirit may be saying, get out of debt. Debt is sin. Debt is just as much sin as pornography and drug addiction. And the Holy Spirit this morning may be saying to some of you, you need to get out of debt. Stop living on 110% of your income. You can't live the happy life. You can't be a giver. You can't be generous if you are a slave to debt. Our elders right now are building a program with Crown Financial and America's Christian Credit Union on helping you get out of debt, helping you learn how to budget, helping you learn how to handle finances so that you can... let, Let me explain something to you. One of my jobs as a pastor is to encourage you and help you and challenge you to leave an inheritance for your grandchildren. If you're not leaving an inheritance for your grandchildren, then we as a church are failing you. Because that is just as biblical as tithing. It's not just what you give the house of God that matters. It's how you live the rest of your life that matters. Are you budgeting wisely in your personal finances? Are you living debt free? Are you creating wealth for your your children and your grandchildren? Because that is just as biblical. And so the Holy Spirit may be speaking to some of you. It's time for you to live on a budget. It's time for you to get out of debt. It's time for you to start handling money like a wise steward instead of just foolishly spending. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. And then lastly, for some of you, the Holy Spirit is saying you need to give the greatest thing you'll ever give. And that's your life to Jesus Christ. The greatest gift you can ever give God is you giving yourself, saying, God, I give you my life. Here I am, take me. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close? If you have never given your life to God, or maybe there was a time where you gave your life to God, but then you took your life back. God's no longer first. You kind of took it back. And you know what I'm talking about. You took it back. I want you to hear me. God this morning is saying, I want you to give your life back to me. I want you to give your life back to me. So if you need to give your life to God for the very first time, or today you need to give your life back to God this morning, you're neither one. It's the greatest thing you can ever give. The greatest thing you will ever give God is your life. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand right now so that I can say a prayer for you? Nobody looking around. Every eye closed. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Who else needs to raise your hand and say, I need to give my life or give my life back to God this morning? Is there anybody else before I close? 
this process is simple. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. I want you to say this prayer to yourself. God can hear your thoughts. You don't need to say it out loud. But just to yourself right now, say, God, I give you my life. I give you my life. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. I give you my life. So right now, say that to your, pray that to your God. second part of that prayer is just say, God, forgive me. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive me, God. And then the last part of the prayer is just say, thank you, God. Thank you for saving me. So grateful for what you've done in my life. I'm so grateful to be a part of your family. Thank you, God. Now, if you prayed that prayer today, you can look up. If you prayed that prayer... Inside your worship pack on your seat, there's a connect card. On the back of the connect card, there's a box that says, I made a decision to put God first in my life today. If you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to check that box and drop it off in one of the tithe and offering boxes in the back of the building. Because we want to connect with you. We want to help you. The number one thing we are here for as a church is to help you become family with God and be family with God. That's number one. That's why we exist. We're here to introduce people to a loving father and help them be a part of his family. So if you'll check that box, drop it off in one of the tithing offering boxes. We want to connect with you and we want to help you walk out that life. Also, there's these books outside at our welcome table. Many times when somebody makes that decision, the first natural question is now what? This book will help you with the next steps of now what? What do I do next following Jesus Christ? Stand with me as we close today. Don't forget, if you have a pallet connection, please talk to Richard Alloway. I just want to pray a prayer, a blessing over you before we leave today. Father, in the name of Jesus, give us a revelation of Makarios, the happy life. And let us begin to live the happy life so that we can be fulfilled. We can be full of joy. We can be a blessing as the Macedonians. We had enough to share with everyone around us. God, give us more than enough in our life so that we have so much it spills out on everybody around us. We love you and we thank you for your grace, God. Your grace that you freely gave us everything, Lord. So we thank you for that grace. We thank you that you are a giver. We are going to heaven today because you are a giver. We are saved today because you are a giver. We are here today because you are a giver, God. So let us strive to become like you in every aspect of our life. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week.